Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. our series the hard sayings so we're moving on but we've got a, a word from God this morning and um, I found some notes in my phone from 2015 that I took down and I went about time for this now hopefully I wasn't taking notes of someone else's preaching and <laughs> just didn't realize but I'm pretty sure that were the notes I'd put down but uh, if we could turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. If we could all be upstanding, as is our custom when reading the Word of God. And uh, we've got a few verses to read. And if you're comfortable standing, please stand. They do say that uh, sitting is the new smoking. So if we uh, stand more, then that's good. And starting at verse 1, if you're there, say Amen said that Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talion, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto the Cumas to shore, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, refuse, they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we could be here in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with your spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, our pastor, Lord, we just think of him as he is in Townsville. We pray for you, that you would use him mightily there. 
We pray, Lord, for everyone in this assembly, Lord, that, you know, as we make our way, Lord, through this rain, that we would be safe. And for those that could not make it, Lord Jesus, we pray for them also, that you would be with them. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that your hand be upon me as I would share this word. Lord Jesus, as I would share from your, your word this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, anoint me, Lord Jesus, and help us, Lord Jesus, to to accept your word, Lord, to be open to what you have to share with us this morning and that your word would take root in our lives, in our hearts, in our soul, Lord Jesus, and that you would um, help us to grow from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you just clap the Lord as you go down and be seated. Praise God this morning. Hallelujah. Some question how God could command Saul to do such a thing to the Amalekites. Here he's commanding Saul to utterly destroy the people of Amalek. Many point to this in, in modern times and with our modern sensibilities and our modern morals and our modern standards and we look at this and we say and well they look at that not us but they look at it and they say that here is the bible condoning a form of genocide but that's not what it is if we go back to exodus chapter 17 we see that the people of amalek had attacked the people of god the hebrew people as they made their way from Egypt to Canaan. They had attacked the Hebrews unprovoked. They had attacked them without any cause while they were on their way, while they were vulnerable, while they were sojourners, while they were pilgrims. But even then the Hebrews prevailed that day and that was the story where, as they noticed, as Moses' arms were lifted up, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they prevailed against the Amalekites in the battle. But as soon as Moses' hands would come down, they would see that the Amalekites would start winning the battle. So they got stones and they put them under Moses' arms. And then the Israelites prevailed that day through Joshua. And they defeated the Amalekites and continued on their way to the promised land. And from that time... God marked the Amalekites for judgment. From that time, in Exodus 17, 14 to 16, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this, write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Make sure you remember this, Moses. Make sure that Joshua remembers this. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has shown that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Amalekites were descended from Saul. Amalek, they're named after Amalek, who was a, a grandson of Esau. And so they are related to the Hebrews. Their relatives, they're all from the same sort of, you know, Esau being the, the brother of Jacob, the, 
the person whose name was changed to Israel, where we get the nation of Israel's name from. So they're quite closely related in terms of tribes in that area. And the name Amalek, although some believe it says it means a, a dweller of those in the valley, others, other rabbis seem to believe that the words Amlak point to a meaning to lick blood. That basically this, these people were bloodthirsty people. They were violent people. They were warmongers. And we seem to see throughout the text that the people of Amalek were like this. They were dangerous. They were warlike. He, you know, obviously they had attacked the Israelites without any cause. Just attacked them unprovoked. And we see time and time again that Amalek were a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And we see that Saul was commanded to wipe them out. But also... He spared the Kenites. Saul told the Kenites to, to get out from among the Amalekites. Now the Kenites were living in, the, in a similar area south of where the Israelites were living towards the Sinai area. And the Kenites were, well their name, the Kenite means smith. Does anyone know what a smith is? A person that works with metal. So that's what, they, that's what their name means. They were, they were metal workers. They were known for their working with metal. So now you know what the surname Smith means. Funnily enough, where's Sister Marcella? Is she around? Her name Ferrari is the same word, Smith, in Italian. But, yeah, so you'll see it pop up in different cultures sometimes because there were always people working with metal. But they were forgers of metal implements and tools. They lived between Egypt and Israel and they'd kind of gone into the same area where the Amalekites were. Moses' father-in-law Jethro was a Kenite. The Kenites journeyed with Israel, Israel to Canaan and had showed kindness to the Hebrews as they travelled and entered toward the promised land. And because of this kindness that they had shown to Israel in the wilderness, they were gratefully remembered. And we see this as Saul said to them, you showed kindness to all the children of Israel. And so they were spared. They were spared by Saul. But notice that Saul had, had to tell them to get out from among them. We've got to make sure that we're not mixed up with the wrong people. Amen? Otherwise, judgment will come against us as well. If we're caught too closely, if we're in too closely with the the wrong type of people, people that are against God. We've got to make sure that we beware of your relationships. Beware of those that you get too close to. Amen? And make sure that there's a degree of separation. The Word of God says, come out from among them. Amen? We're to come out from among them. We're to make separation from those that are unholy, that are doing the wrong thing. Otherwise, we'll be turned against God as well. So be careful who you make allegiances with. Be careful how close you get to those that are in sin. I'm not saying that we don't reach out to sinners, amen? Jesus was a friend of, to sinners. But be careful how much fellowship you have 
with those that are not living for God, for those that could tempt you into sin and could turn you away from the word of God. Don't be unequally yoked, the Bible says. I always thought, unequally yoked, what's a yoke? Is that like the egg yoke? What's going on with this unequally yoked? Is that where you get more yolk than the other, more eggs than the other person? I don't know. But the yoke is, you ever seen like animals pulling a plow? The yoke is the big beam of wood that goes across the shoulders of those animals to help them carry the burden. And the burden is whatever weight that they're pulling, whether that's a plow or a cart or some sort of goods, whatever they're carrying or a, a chariot. And so that yoke is, is like the axle. It's like the thing that goes across the top of the animals to help even out all the, the, the weight of that burden between all those animals. Now, if you're unequally yoked, that means you're going to shoulder too much of the weight. Amen? And the other person's not carrying. Or it's like trying to put a bull and then maybe, I don't know, a cat and put a yoke across their backs and get them to pull like a plow through the field. Who's going to do most of the work? Obviously, it depends on the type of cat, but usually if it was just a little tabby house cat, it's going to be the bull doing all the work. We've got to make sure that we're not unequally yoked. Amen? So we see here that the, the Kenites are spared. And we even see that David later on, he allowed the Kenites to share in the spoil that he later took from the Amalekites. So Saul and his army attacked the Amalekites. And we assume that he is obedient when it came to killing the women and the children and the babies, as seems pretty hard. Actually, we were doing hard sayings of Jesus. These are hard sayings of the Old Testament now. And we assume that he did this, that he was obedient to that, because the text says that he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Even then, though, it must be uh, a bit of hyperbole here, and does everyone remember what hyperbole means? It means like an extreme saying. It's like, oh, you do this all the time. When, and, you know, and then your reply is like, oh, I don't do it all the time. You know, when your parents say that to you or your significant other says that to you. You do this all the time. And you think to yourself, no, I don't do it all the time. No, they're trying to get a point across. That's hyperbole. When we use extremes, we talk in extremes, we talk in absolutes. And we know this because, I'll tell you why it's hyperbole, because we see the Amalekites pop up again. In 1 Samuel 30, they invade Ziklag. So obviously not all of them were gone. But it's trying to tell us that they were, they were really, you know, taken care of. Many, many were killed. And then we also see it was an Amalekite that actually helped Saul to finish off Saul. Saul asked him to you know, finish him off. And he then went back and told David, and then David had him killed because he had killed God's anointed. Hello? Who's this? Hopefully it's Jesus. 
But Saul was not completely obedient to what God had commanded. He was not completely obedient. He spared Agag, the Amalekite king. Really the one he should have taken care of first and foremost. But instead he spared him. And he spared the best of the sheep. And he spared the best of the ox. And the fatlings. And the lambs. And everything that was good. But all the rubbish animals he got rid of. He kept the best. He was like, oh wow, this these are good animals. I'm going to keep these. Instead of doing what God had commanded him to do. And that was to wipe them out. To get rid of not only the people, not to destroy the people, but all the animals. The easy commandment, really. If you told me to kill some people, that would be a difficult commandment for me to follow. I've got to say, I'm not a warlike person. I've never fought in a battle. I've never killed anyone in my life. I promise. I've never really had a... Usually don't have a desire to kill anyone. Except maybe behind the wheel of a car at times. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but to kill the animals, you would think that's the easier command. The animals aren't fighting back. The sheep don't have swords. The ox aren't going to come at you with a spear. Yet he kept those ones. Why? Because... He thought, why are we going to waste all these animals? Why should I obey God's command when we can use these things? I like what Brother Greg said last week. He said, God isn't interested in efficiency. He's interested in obedience. He's not interested in our ideas of what is a good idea. He's interested in obedience. And so... Saul thought he had a better idea than God. I'm going to spare these animals instead. And then we see in 1 Samuel 15, 13 to 14, it says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Has he? No. Some of it. Maybe. But he has not fully obeyed the commandment. But here he comes to Samuel and he says, I've done what God has asked me to do. He's lying. He's lying. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this? Bleating of the sheep in my ears. I can hear the sheep bleating. What are you talking about, Saul? You're saying you've done what God has commanded you to do and yet I can still hear the bleeding of sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear. How come I can hear this? Saul's saying, I've done what God has commanded. And Samuel's saying, but I can hear the bleeding of sheep. You know, Saul is a bit like us. Like We like to think that Saul's not like us, that we're, we're way better than Saul is. And Saul's like this, you know, sort of real evil guy and, you know, he's, he's really flawed and we're, we're, we're kind of good and righteous people and we're always obedient to God. But Saul in many ways is just like us. He doubted himself when he was called to be king. 
We saw that when he was given responsibility, what did he then go and do? He went and hid in the stuff. He got scared. He got scared and he hid in the stuff. And some of us are like that. We've been in that situation where God has called us to something or God has called us to do something and we run. Instead of doing what God has commanded us to do, instead of taking on the responsibility that God wants to give us, instead we go, hey, hang on, let me think of some excuses. Hey, hang on, let me come up with a list of all the reasons why I shouldn't do this. Let me come up with some wisdom. When God is commanding us to do something, when God is calling us to go further in Him, when God is trying to give us more responsibility, instead we go and hide in the stuff. You ever been there? I know I have. So in many ways we're like Saul. And we see that Saul got jealous also. We see when David rose to promise prominence that Saul got jealous you ever been jealous of anyone no obviously not I'm the only one thought so you perfect people he panicked he panicked when he could no longer hear from God and he went and visited the witch of Endor which is where George Lucas got the name of the planet for the Ewoks but anyway, there were no Ewoks in this end, or there was a witch though. And, and Saul disobeyed a commandment of God and went and visited this witch and then heard judgment from God through the witch because God can use anything. If God spoke to Balaam with a donkey, he can speak to Saul through a witch. It doesn't mean we go and see a witch because if you go and see a witch and God does speak to you, it's probably not going to be a good Thing that he's going to tell you and he pronounced judgment upon Saul so he panicked anyone ever panicked I'm like an expert in panicking I could hold classes on how you panic and he obeyed God just like us he obeyed God up to a point up to a point, up to where it was no longer convenient, up to where he thought, actually, this is as far as I'll go. This is good. I like it here. I'm only going to go this far. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever, are you doing that now? Are you doing that now? Is God calling you to obedience and you're like, I'll just draw the line right here. This is as far as I go. Sorry, God. That's as much as I can do. That's all you're going to get from me. When we don't follow instructions that are given for our own benefit, we will often fall into destruction and turmoil and chaos. Whoever, you ever ordered something from or bought something from Ikea? Or, you know, fantastic furniture or freedom furniture. Temple and Webster, all these furniture companies. You go to Ikea and they give you the flat pack furniture. You know the flat pack furniture? Who's got any Allen keys at home? Like all those different sized Allen keys. Anyway, 
If you're a little like me, you uh, get those instructions and you go, yeah, I'll just ditch that. Or maybe I'll read the first two. <laughs> Have I got everything? Yeah, got every, yeah, 15 of these G things, 10 of these H things. Yep, okay. Ah, that's enough. Yeah, we'll figure it out from here. Let's go. Just wing it from there. And then putting it together, sweating, losing my religion, getting frustrated. Finally, I get to the end and this four-legged table somehow only has three legs. And I've got 10 of those G things left over. And I'm going, I can't figure it out. And then I have to undo it all again, go back and read the instructions this time. To try and figure out that from that little picture where this thing goes. You ever been there? You know, my mum was a, a parking cop and uh, she worked with uh, Sister Rosemary for years, for like 15 years or something, or 10 years. So she used to walk the streets of Sydney, of the city of Sydney, and booking people. You know, everyone's favourite people. <laughs> And she'd go around and, uh, you know, give people fines, you know. Sister Rosemary's still doing it, actually, so see in the, in the city sometimes, still doing it. Anyway, so my mum would go around booking people. Actually, one time, Anthony Mundine was there. and You know what he, she, he said to her? Keep up the great work, sister. But anyway... She'd go around booking all these cars and people would blow up. How dare you? How do you give me this ticket? Let me off, please. She's just doing a job. People threatening to kill her and hit her and all this sort of stuff, carrying on. And yet, you don't get a fine if you just obey the instructions. There's a sign that says, no parking. Why can't I park here? Because the sign says no parking. I've only been here for three hours. It says 30 minutes. <laughs> we don't obey the instructions. It's like something we love to do. And then they end up with that little envelope. Or well, now it's like a little receipt under your thing. You get in the mail anyway. Adam and Eve had one instruction, one instruction to prevent them from destruction. Just one instruction. He had other instructions, go and name the animals, you know. We love to name things. That's why we love to name things. Tend to the garden. Yeah, he had a job to do. But one instruction to stop him from falling into destruction. And that was, don't eat of that fruit what does he do he goes and eats of that he breaks the one instruction he was given you had one job adam and we love to point at adam and go oh yeah adam you idiot yet we're like adam we're just like adam we do it all the time you know we love to decide for god we love to decide for god you know you got the terrorist you know who who decides that God wants him to, you know, kill all these people and himself. 
You know, I know that, inshallah, you know, that's what God wants me to do. But it's very, very far away from what God wants him to do. People decide for God too often. I'm guilty of it at times. And many of my best setbacks, many of my greatest achievements in the area of setbacks and failures have been from deciding myself what is best for God on his behalf and ended up in a mess. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 and 13 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me. With what? With all your heart. God's plans are good. Sorry, I'm just stopping the alarm. That's for your benefit. Make sure I don't talk too long. God's plans are good. They are better than the plans we make for ourselves. Amen? Sometimes we don't understand His plans. But trust me, they're better than the plans you come up with. If you've got a set of plans and God has a set of plans, tear up your plans and follow God's plans instead. Amen? Because they're always going to be better. They're always going to be better. And then when it's all over, you look back and you go, Woo, I'm glad I followed those plans. I'm glad I did what God wanted me to do. In Psalms 37, 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in the way. He delighteth in the way. If we are righteous, then we will walk in his steps, the ones he has ordered. And what? We will have joy. We will have delight in it. We'll end up happier if we're walking with God and the steps that he has put for us rather than trying to forge out our own way. And also, God will also, if we're good, God will make a way for us. Amen? He'll carve out those good steps for us if we're good, if we're following and obedient to God's commands. Saul started out fearful of the role of king. He seemed to fit the bill. He was tall. He was good looking. He seemed strong. He seemed like a good candidate for the position of king. But during his reign, his character flaws were revealed. He was dishonest. He had pride. He couldn't admit to his mistakes. He couldn't admit when he was wrong. And it's interesting when we see the differences between David and Saul. Both had flaws. Both had their failures. But their, the way that they responded to God, the way they responded to their failures, the way that they picked themselves or the way that they you know, reacted to what was going on, that was what made them different. Amen? That's why David was called a man after God's own heart. Yet Saul, yet Saul was destroyed. Saul was rejected. From his coronation until he captures the Amalekite king, we see him become self-reliant and not taking heed of the word of God that would come through Samuel. And eventually, God has enough. Saul decided that he had a better plan 
than God. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. His ways are higher than ours as the heavens are to the earth. Not, a li- not 5% higher, not 10 They're way higher. They're beyond the sky, amen? And my thoughts than your thoughts. Whatever we can think up, whatever ways we can come up with, His ways are far, infinitely better, amen? What makes us think, what is it that makes us think that our ways are better? Saul pays the price for his continual disobedience and lack of repentance. That's key. He lacked repentance. His pride brings him undone. Saul did what he thought looked okay. She'll be right, mate. It'll be all right. You know, we we like to think that God isn't precise. And I certainly hope he's not as precise as he might be. But when we look in the word of God, he's pretty precise. The plan of salvation is pretty precise. You must be born again. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born of water and born of spirit. That means you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost because it is the name above every other name. Amen. It's the name that Jesus, the Son of God, inherited from the Father. It is the name above every. There's no salvation in any other name. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the baptismal is warm, ready to go. Amen. We've got it there, ready to go. Don't think of your ways of getting to heaven. God has already made a way. He's already made a plan of salvation. You can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Be born of the Spirit this morning. We can come and lay hands on you. We can pray for you. And you say, oh, yeah, I've heard you get the Holy Ghost and you feel something warm in your heart. That'd be nice, but that's not in the Word of God. Amen. What the Word of God tells us is He will speak in other tongues. Amen. Let's follow His plan and not the plans we just think of ourselves or some other bloke thought of or some father of the church or some great and mighty theologian or some great evangelist. No, their words are not their ways. Remember, are way below God's ways. Their plans are way below God's plans. We need to follow God's word, not what we think is a better idea. Amen? When it comes to the Godhead, God is exact. When it comes to righteous living, God is exact. There is only one God. Amen? There is only one God and He is one. He is one. Oshema Israel Adonai Elohinu. Adonai Echad, God is one. The Lord is one. We see that God is very, very precise. The New Jerusalem measurements, they're very precise. Noah's Ark, how he was to build it, it was precise. Everything was instructions. The tabernacle, clear instructions, very precise. The law, 613 commandments. That enough instructions for you? It's a lot of instructions. Forget the Ikea catalogue. 
in our own lives, decisions, direction, we need to be in the will of God. Amen? If Paul had gone to Asia Minor when he was told not to, what would have happened? What would have, he could have made all the excuses, but I need to preach to the people of Asia. I need to go there, Lord. I'll just do it because it's a good idea. In, in our own logic, it seems like a good idea. And we see in Acts 16, 6 to 10 that, you know, he was forbidden from going there. And then a vision came to Paul in the night. And there stood a man from Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. If he had gone to Asia, he wouldn't have been able to go to Macedonia. And later in 1 Samuel 15, we see the consequences of Saul's disobedience. His almost obedience. His 90% of the way their obedience. His, I did what God commanded me, except for some, a few things. We see what happens in 1 Samuel 15, 20 to 26. And it says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. Hang on, God didn't tell you to do that. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, oh, here we go. Be like, Adam, but Eve, and then Eve, but the snake. And what about Adam's even worse? Because he goes, not just the woman, the woman that you gave me, God. So it's God's fault now. Because you gave me the woman who told me to do the wrong thing. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen. I didn't do anything wrong. It was those people, the chief of things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice. Hey, we were doing it for a good... Our motives were right, Lord. We did the wrong thing, but our motives were right. We wanted to give you a good sacrifice. And Samuel said... Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does he care about sacrifice when you're not obedient? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Not just statues, stubbornness is idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You're fired. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Oh, now. <laughs> now, when it's all said and done, he had his opportunity to repent. But now, when he's finally given the final notice, termination is coming your way, then he's sorry. Why? Because he feared the people. How often do we sin because we fear man? Amen? The Word of God says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Be careful of it. Don't fear man, but fear God. Amen? Fear God. How often we do the wrong things because we fear what people think, we fear what people will do to us, or we fear what people will say. We fear being rejected by man, but do you want to be rejected by God? And Samuel said unto the 
unto Saul, I will not return with thee. Thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Unlike David in 2 Samuel when confronted by Nathan, Saul didn't repent when he was confronted by Samuel. Instead, he blamed the people. And finally, we see that Saul tries to make a plea for forgiveness, but it's all too late. And as we know, David is then later anointed to be king by Samuel. Amen. Let us stand. What is God's will? What is God's will for us? Yeah, the Bible gives us a few verses that tells us what the will of God is. First Peter second, First uh, Peter two fifteen and seventeen says, "For so is the will of God that ye, with well doing, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, you know, people that try to accuse us, as freer and not using." your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God and honour the king. And that's not talking about the king of kings, that's talking about probably, you know, some corrupt king, a not so good king. That's just talking about honour to those in authority. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Romans 12.2 says, And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any would perish. This is His will, that none would perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants us all to repent. If you've not repented of your sins, if you need to repent this morning, come because it's the will of God that we repent of our sins. Amen? That we come unto repentance and that we seek salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 15, 18 says, in everything give thanks. In everything. In what? In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Jesus Christ concerning you. God, what's your will? Give thanks in everything. That's what God's will is. Amen. We live in this society that is catering for self and to appease the will of self. I want to be a unicorn. So everyone's got to cater for me being wanting to be a unicorn. You've got to treat me like a unicorn now because I've decided I'm a unicorn. We've overridden our will above all else. We're in a society that doesn't just reject God's will, but rejects God altogether. Recently, the 2021 census figures were released and we see that those that call themselves Christians has dropped from 52% in 2016 down to 43%, less than half the population for the first time ever. And those that said they were of no religion increased from 30 to 38%. As our society becomes more irreligious, more atheist, there's a shift in the morality. There's a shift in what we regard as right and wrong as a society. We are becoming like Adam and Eve as a society, deciding for society, deciding for themselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. 
But Jesus prayed in Luke 22, 42, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Say, not my will. Not my will, but Thine be done. Not Thine be done. Who wants to do the will of the Lord this morning? Amen. Who wants their will to align to God's will? I don't want to be out of the will of God. I want to be doing what God wants. Amen. And that is simply what God wants. God's will. That's what it means, what God wants. There is a better plan for us. We need to submit our will to His will. If we've been disobedient to His instructions, to His call, if we're fighting the call of God, if we're fighting with something in our lives that we know God wants us to take us further in, come and spend some time with the Lord. Amen. If you've never repented of your sins and given your life to the Lord, come and spend some time with the Lord. If you need the Holy Ghost this morning, we can come and pray for you. Amen. If you're struggling with something this morning that you know that God has given you instruction, but you're struggling with those instructions, come and spend some time at this altar this morning and give it to God. Amen. Not thy will, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Hallelujah.